0: This week on the Back Table Podcast.
1: You hate to see, you know, a growing brain get injured, but school doesn't stop. He can't sit in a dark room for three weeks, not look at his phone, not look at his computer. And so, most of our team now at the high school, I coach, is wearing it. You know, nobody wants to change this game, right? We all played it, and like Taylor said, man, everybody loves the game. But without changing it, can we make it safer? Maybe we can.
2: Sometimes it can be a violent game, like I said. You know, every every tackle seems like a car crash, and Um, You know, just to have the peace of mind of having the caller to give me that extra protection, that extra peace of mind to play free and and play the game the way the game's meant to be played is, you know, it means everything.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Back Table MSK podcast, your source for all things musculoskeletal. You can find all previous episodes of our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on backtable.com. All right, so it's a tremendous pleasure. This is Jason Dana Dunleavy coming to you from Buffalo, New York, interventional radiologist. And today we have Taylor Rapp, safety of the Buffalo Bills, and the notorious Wayne Olin, who's been on the show before. So why don't we start off just with a little intro Taylor can you tell us a little bit about yourself
2: Yeah like you said uh, safety for the Buffalo Bills uh last 4 years I spent time uh with the LA Rams got drafted by the LA Rams went to University of Washington was a was a Husky shout out to the dogs they're they're doing great this year but yeah now grew up in grew up in Washington state stayed home for college and back out here to the east coast in in Buffalo now it, it snowed here in Buffalo as you as you know Today uh, on Halloween, which is uh, a, a little a little different than l a
0: yeah, and I, I gotta say it's incredible that you guys play in it so <laughs> so actively snowing right now at your home and at your training camp and so today I assume you're training inside. Yeah, well, actually,
2: today's our uh, player off day, Tuesday, and then we we begin the week on uh, Wednesday tomorrow.
0: Sounds good and And what was it like? I know that um, you know in this amazing city there was a lot of excitement when you came to town what was that transition like for you
2: yeah i mean it, it's it's been awesome um ever since i got here i felt like the whole the whole town the whole city kind of you know welcomed me with with open arms and um you know i felt bills mafia right away and you know just just seeing you know the the home games some of the primetime games and, um you know when we played miami uh you know early in the season when we uh won pretty big and um you know thursday night game and then the sunday night game you know just full bills mafia in effect it's uh man it's it's unbelievable i i I love the love the atmosphere love
0: love being here yeah and awesome to have you know you and and talking defense you know i think that uh you know josh talks a lot in the media but but he always credits the defense and that i think that you guys have really done a lot to carry the team to some of these really close wins what's it like in the locker room
2: yeah. I mean, I, you know, guys are, you know, obviously we've, we've had a couple losses get away, a couple games get away from us this season, but I think, uh, the guys are, you know, more, more motivated than ever right now. You know, we're obviously in good, good position right now. And, you know, obviously the, the season's so long and obviously it's the NFL, you're going to, you're going to lose a few games and stuff, but, you know, it's just, It matters when when you get hot and you play well. And, um, you know, I think we're trending up and um, I can't can't wait for the second half of the
0: season. Absolutely. And I'll I'll do a quick transition to uh, Dr. Wayne Olin here, who is the director of Interventional Spine and Endovascular Neurosurgery. But we don't really care about those expertise. Let's let's talk about athletics and coaching. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: I'm uh, just an old weekend warrior. Grew up in a small country called Long Island. Where you play a game called lacrosse growing up, and it really gets into your blood. And uh, I've been playing up, playing you know as long as I could, and then uh, I coach out here at a school called Georgetown Prep in uh, Bethesda, Maryland, where Arthur Smith, the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, is an alum as well as a lacrosse player. So I'm kind of on both sides of the problem we're going to talk about today because I have athletes just like Taylor I'm trying to protect, and then I have athletes who've undergone head injuries and and how do you get them back on the field safely and prepare them to get back out and try and avoid going through it again
0: i love it and and just to uh you know focus a little bit here you know we're going to talk about q collar and uh in the process of that you know i have uh nothing personally to do with the company just hosting here and just to verify uh both of your involvement uh neither of you are paid consultants as well is that correct Correct.
1: That's correct for me as well. You do have though, because you got at least three of your Buffalo Bills wearing that collar, so you have a little bit of vested in it because you'd love to see these guys stay on the field.
0: That's true, and in fact, you know, just with us starting to, uh, you know, plan this talk, you know, which which we planned for the past like two hours, right? This just kind of came all about. But you know, various coaches in this town have been asking me about it, and actually, even though there's great saturation. In the NFL in terms of the Buffalo Bills there's very poor saturation in terms of utilization in children in this region Uh, a lot of interest and uh, so I think this is a great A lot of people are interested in what you guys have to say so why don't I shift back to Taylor and and say kind of you know what was athletics like for you growing up and and when did you think about utilizing cue collar and have you had any head injuries yourself
2: yeah um, you know, I've played sports my whole life growing up, very, you know, I had an older brother, a uh, very sports centric family. We both played baseball and football growing up, kind of early on played all sports, but you know, as we grew older, kind of narrowed it down to baseball and football, and just kind of you know took off of football. Baseball was actually my first love, ended up kind of giving it up and then kind of trying to focus on football ended up getting recruited playing in college. And then, um, here I am now. I, uh, actually started wearing the Q collar. Uh, first, the first season was all last season. I did suffer, uh, a brain injury two years ago when the Rams won the Super Bowl Bowl 2021, I had a pretty bad concussion and, uh, my agent actually, he actually heard about the Q collar and, you know, he kind of just showed me it, forwarded me it along. And, uh, told me all about it and uh you know just kind of all off season kind of just you know did a little more research I guess a little more you know playing around with it I actually bought one kind of just wearing it around trying to see if I if I can wear it during the season and you know ended up wearing it all all last season and uh you know it's uh still wear it now you know I, I I can't go out there on the football field you know, with, without wearing the collar, you know, it's a, it's basically like a, a helmet to me now, you know, I can't, I can't walk out of the locker room to go out to the practice field without, without my collar.
0: Yeah. And, and so, you know, that gets us to, you know, some of the common questions. I mean, as myself, you know, when I was 10 years old and we started wearing helmets and ski racing, you know, I was hazed pretty heavily at that time. Now you couldn't imagine a kid in a ski race without a helmet or even on the slopes Any uh, difficulty, you know, in terms of when you got started, people giving you trouble for it? No,
2: not at all. I mean, I I would actually say kind of more so on the flip side, you know, guys, you know, guys are always weird about their style and swag and, you know, more so people asking me like, hey, what's that thing around your neck? Like that, that thing looks cool. Like, you know, what, what does it do or stuff like that? So I I would say probably more so
0: on that side, the positive side rather than the, the negative side. Fantastic. And you know, as, as you noted, right, I mean, it's kind of a, a synergistic relationship between you and your agent. You know, Wayne's spoken about that before. You know, what what is the cost, for instance, of a military warrior and, you know, both both high level athletes and and the military, you know, the worst thing that could happen is an injury. Anything you want to address with that, Wayne?
1: Yeah, I mean at the end of the day, right, that that's where the birth of the collar comes from collar is a military device it was born in the military it was developed by a military physician and it was developed to protect our war fighters special forces protect our war fighters and so um and, and taylor does it every day he's doing the same thing every day so it was kind of a synergistic movement into sports as you got into some of the sports where head injuries are much more prevalent or even much more assumed but you have a lot of sports now including like yours, ski racing and sliding and nascar driving where people utilizing the collar and and finding you know the benefit there as well not just from this the one-on head injury but from vibration and other things where you can minimize brain movement so you know clearly this thing was born on the battlefield and it has found its way onto the football field which is essentially a natural progression
0: and we'll get a little nerdy here you teach us a little bit about functional MRI
1: or DTI? Yeah. So we teach a little bit about that. So that's where the study was. I mean, you got to, eventually you have to look at something and prove its value, right? You can't just say, Hey, put this on. It looks like a good idea. And so that's where the, the study was done using DTI imaging. What you did is look for white matter lesions. And you had to also find a group of athletes that in theory, or you hope probably don't have any. And that's why the studies were centered in high school athletes and you basically had 500 athletes halfway with collar half don't and you all got MRIs before the season all got MRIs after the season and they even had MRIs carried out for two to three years out after and this was done at uh St. Xavier High School in Cincinnati University uh Cincinnati Children's Hospital and you know 70% of the athletes who wore the collar? This, this this number is kind of striking, right? Seventy-seven percent of athletes who wore the collar had no changes. And you understand this, this statement of a shear injury, where your gray white or white and gray and your white matter come together. That's where the brain is almost the most susceptible to motion injury, shear injuries, where it could turn and it could tear because those two portions of the brain are anchored differently, and they will accelerate differently when the brain is either accelerating or decelerating. of the athletes at the end of the year had no changes who were wearing the collar. If you weren't wearing the collar, these are high school athletes now, remember, this isn't college or professional, 73% of those athletes had gray-white shearing injuries that they didn't have at the beginning of the year. That's a striking number if it's your child. And so, I mean, that was where the birth of it came from. Um, You know, obviously a lot of animal studies and stuff like that before, but... At the end of the day, when you see a number like that for, with a device that carries no risk, hard to discount that kind of data on a sample size that large.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, let's switch to that. The, the no risk, you know, I think, uh, Taylor was alluding to that a little bit, but you know, it was even studied, right. Of looking at people's cognitive ability, visual acuity, Taylor sounds like you did your own testing, so to speak as well. Right. To see how you felt before and after wearing it at home, wearing it at training.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I I would say one of the biggest effects and change that I felt um, wearing it all last season and then wearing it all this season as well is how well I feel after I play a game or after I have a practice that I wear with contact. In previous years without wearing the collar, like, you'd make a a couple tackles. And, I mean, these – you know, football is like – every tackle is like a car crash. And so, I mean – before I started wearing the collar, you know, your neck would get so sore the day after a, a, a game or a practice where you had contact, you know, your shoulders, your traps, everything. But ever since I wore, ever since I started wearing the collar, you know, I, I noticed one huge change in, in how I felt the next day, the next morning after the game or after a contact training camp practice where we you know, had a lot of contact and stuff like that. That's been the biggest, biggest change. And I, you know, feel, feel great the next, the next morning, next day.
0: That's fantastic. And, and Wayne, do you want to speak to a little bit how they, how they studied that
1: specifically? Well, that aspect is when you look at studies wise is really in the works, right? Cause the studies that got the FDA clearance were based on games, but the military now, and we just got a $3 million grant through the military and doing some much longer range studies for much longer wares than just an NFL game or a college game or a high school game. And they have to evaluate stuff. So like if you have a sharpshooter, uh, he's a Navy SEAL or he's a Delta Force warrior, at the end of a 12-hour shift, he has to fill out an evaluation form. And there's no doubt that we're seeing that military fighters are testing as good as they did in the, at the end of a shift as they did earlier in this shift which is a huge change to the guys who aren't wearing the collar. But that's anecdotal right now, but it will at one point become part of the literature, that's for sure. So
0: maybe you could address on another level then, would say, so why does this work, right? You use your woodpecker analogy, and and why is that not a problem?
1: Okay, well, first and foremost, it's not, it works by basically, and the, the idea behind it is to stabilize the brain inside your skull. How do you do that? And if you increase the size of your veins, which are between the brain and the skull, not deep inside, you can then minimize the movement. The best analogy is almost like putting on a seatbelt, right? You now basically put a seatbelt on your brain so it can't move inside your skull when your brain, your body, your skull, everything accelerates and decelerates at very high velocities. So that's all it does. It's the reason why it's not significant clinically just to wear it because it's not an occlusion. It's just a 30 percent diminished in Venus return it's one and a half pounds of pressure it's exactly the same pressure as wearing a necktie so if Taylor's at a game during church and the game breaks out he's protected it's the same exact thing basically all you're doing is kinking you're not occluding and that's very important because people like to mis sort of characterize that you're not Occluding the jugular vein, you're just kinking it a little bit and slowing the blood out. And it's not more than a teaspoon or a couple teaspoons of blood that it takes. And we have MRIs that show the different size of your venous sinuses, the collar on and the collar off. And it's not subtle. So basically, that's what it does. It holds your brain steady inside of your skull. And that's why there's, you know, you think about vibrations or anything like that. Or if you're a NASCAR driver, you make it left turns, you know, 200 miles an hour where your brain's getting pushed against one side of your skull the entire race, there may be a benefit there as well. Your just brain is held a little tighter on the inside. That's been shown in nature as well to be you know, helpful. And uh, it seems like it's starting to pan out here, and we're just trying to spread the word.
0: And Taylor, anyone you want to mention in terms of you know, your friends at the collegiate level or NFL level that have either had head injuries or are wearing this and kind of their thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had several teammates, colleagues, you know, guys across the league that that I know of that all have been wearing Q collar ever since last season, coming on this season, you know, I think it's become more prevalent in the NFL world, uh, especially this season as well, you know, just seeing the amount of guys wearing the Q collar and stuff and, um, you know, just having conversations around the locker room and, you know, everyone wanting to try it and, you know, wanting to see and, you know ask questions about it at one point I think we had about four or five guys I think right now right now with the bills right now uh guys who wear on a consistent basis I mean you saw Dalton Kincaid the the star tight end got drafted out of Utah he was uh he, he actually suffered a brain injury earlier this season and uh you know he uh Started wearing the cue collar, and I, I think that's going to be an essential essential piece of his uh, equipment moving forward now. So it's uh, you know it's just amazing to see. Like I said, like Wayne, you know, we're just trying to spread the word. You know, I think this this game means so much to me and um, means so much to everyone. And we're you know we're trying, everyone's trying to figure out how we can make it you know more sustainable, more uh, more safe for everyone. And you know, I, I think the cue collar is a, a is a big
0: piece to that. Yeah you know, as a member of the mafia, like you were saying, you know, I mean, for, for personal success reasons, we want you guys to stay healthy, but you've also seen, right. The, the mafia has really come out just in ways that have nothing to do with the success of the team, but just kind of caring about the players. And, uh, you know, I think everyone was noticing your great play, Kincaid's great play. What is this new, uh, cool color, you know, that people are wearing? Cause are there some fines that can go with you if you don't wear the right colors?
2: That's a whole nother world we're talking about with the NFL fines and stuff. You know, there's, it's a little bit of controversy. I'm I'm not going to touch on it too much, but I mean, there's, there's some uniform fines that are, are pretty egregious out there, but, uh, Q collar actually, they, they have all, you know, different color sleeves and everything, you know, as, as long as we stick to, you know, blue, red, white, or black, you know, we, we should be fine,
0: especially with the Q collar sleeves as well. And. Any involvement? I'll switch to Wayne after this, but Taylor, you know, you you still have a massive impact on all the young athletes coming up in the world. You know, some NFL players have said that they wish that they had this when they were a kid. Any thoughts you have for kids playing football, lacrosse, or soccer right now, or um, do you influence them at all? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I, I wish I had this. I wish I, you know, the caller
2: was, you know, more out there when I was growing up and playing and um, you know I, I think that's where it starts. I think that's where you know hopefully guys like me and 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 you know you know us just trying to spread the movement, trying to get it to the to the youth sports because I think that's where it starts and that's where it's really important um, you know, especially for you know the younger kids who you know are playing tackle football and don't necessarily have, the experience or, you know, technique on, on how to tackle. And, you know, that's, that's where it's most important to do everything they can to protect their brain. And so, you know, just trying to get it out there and try to get it out in the, in, in the youth, youth, uh, contact sports as, as much as possible is, is definitely,
0: um, important. And Wayne, you want to touch on it too, as a father and as a coach?
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, I mean, he's touched on it too, right in the pros, it, it's obviously one thing, but the best ability is being available right be available and in college if he had a head injury if he's in high school school doesn't stop his brain's still growing you hate to see you know a growing brain get injured but school doesn't stop he can't sit in a dark room for three weeks not look at his phone not look at his computer and so you know we have you know most of our team now at prep you know the high school I coach is wearing it and you know once you adapt to it and there's a little bit of peer pressure But as as he stated, it's positive, not negative. You look around the locker room, and you're like, "This guy's doing everything he can to stay on the field. This guy should maybe think about doing that." And so, kind of, that's where we're at with it. And just want to give everybody the opportunity to, you know, to take a look at it. And you know, nobody wants to change this game, right? We all played it. And like Taylor said, man, everybody loves the game. But without changing it, can we make it safer? Maybe we can.
0: And again, not to get. Too crazy. But again, can you go back a little bit to Cincinnati Children's and just talk a little bit about the details? As Taylor nicely noted, you know, the way that he makes a hit is like a car accident. And, you know, DTI is what people think about, right? I mean, when we talk about that form of injury, we're talking about looking at patients after a car accident, coup, contra coup, various types of details like that. And Maybe you can explain a little bit more, you know, what do white matter changes mean?
1: Well, one is, you know, they don't always measure clinically, right? Much more subtle necessarily than a clinical change or something that somebody would admit to. A white matter change shows that your brain has undergone trauma. At the end of the day, just so we're clear, we didn't just study or the study just didn't include football players. It was football, hockey, uh, lacrosse, girls and boys, soccer as well, right? Girls' soccer... I mean, there's data that came out in Europe showing that if you're a professional woman soccer player, your risk of dementia is significantly increased, like X by X factors. I mean, that's, those are frightening things. And in soccer, they talk about not letting youth kids head the ball just for that reason and protect the youth. The reason why you study children is they should not have white matter injuries. You're making a sort of assumption that you're dealing with sort of a clean brain at that point. And now you talk about the number of kids that came out of of high school with, with documented and visible, not subtle visible brain injury, even if it wasn't clinically significant, makes you really think twice because you just keep doing it over, repeating it you know the repetitive head injury that's that's where the risk really is. You know everybody sees somebody get blown up once, and that's you do, but you know over and over and over again, kind of like cigarette smoking, kind of like sun tanning kind of like all those things where yeah maybe smoking one cigarette isn't isn't terrible but a thousand hits to your frontal lobe they start adding up and you know the correlations and things like that you know long-term effects people talk about them and if there's a way we can hopefully help out you know make everything safer nobody you're not stopping bump skiing dana i know you
0: speed is what i need
1: you might want to try and put a collar on when you do it
0: that's right so, uh, and I don't know if you can address this, Wayne, but, you know, I don't think people realize, you know, there are studies, right, 2014, 16, 17, 18. You know, there's quite a, b- a lot of data on collar, And uh, how did financially
1: all of that get accomplished? Well, very good question. The company has not paid for a single study. Now, obviously, you got to supply collars. So, you know, you get past that. But every single study that's been done was by an independent um, evaluator every single one the ones out of Emory, the ones out of cincinnati everything you looked at is by an independent uh evaluator so there's no bias in that respect obviously the study that got fda clearance that also was done without bias by the evaluators and so it's you know it's hard to look at it and say well we biased somebody you know, by paying for it because nobody was. There are at least 25 peer-reviewed studies, as you say, since 2014, and not one of them has a, you know, an evaluator who was sort of, as you say, potentially biased.
0: Taylor, give this one to you. You can turf it if you want. You know, one of the things that a couple coaches have asked me is, you know, I, I want to order these for my kids and, and also for the athletes on my team. But I don't really understand, you know, the sizing and, and that makes me nervous. You know, that that's the one way I wonder if I could harm them. Can you explain how the sizing works?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's actually pretty simple actually, you know, in every collar package, you know, they, they actually have a little sizer. So you, you, you basically, you kind of guesstimate, you know, what your size would be and the package actually comes with a, a little sizer. I think, actually, Wayne, you can correct me if if I'm wrong, but before you actually buy, you can buy, like, a a sizing kit.
1: There are a couple ways of doing it. You could do it that way, or you could just take a string, wrap it around your neck. It's kind of, no, no, a very thin string, like you were measuring yourself for a dress shirt. Exactly like if you went to the tailor, Dana. You go to the tailor, you get measured for a dress shirt. Intuitively, though, it would sound like if the collar's slightly uncomfortable a bigger one would be more comfortable but that's not the case
2: yeah yeah i i got messed up with that because i thought yeah i i, I thought i needed a bigger one but i actually needed, needed a, smaller a smaller one, one because yes, then
1: where the uh, discomfort comes from the collar is not its pressure on your sternocleidomastoids, but it's if it scrapes your trachea if it scrapes your trachea it's really too big so you really want it that as you know taylor would tell you the same thing it's like a two-inch gap here that lets your trachea sort of stand on its own. It's easy to do. And then if, say, somehow you went online and bought one, you know, for your daughter, she's driving a sled for Team USA, and the next Olympics, you send it back, they'll, ship it, they'll send you another one. But now we're starting to see as teams are starting to become more educated and apt. There are a whole sizing kits you could put in locker rooms. So, like, a lot, our high school locker room has a sizing kit. We have one collar of almost every size. Kid gets to try one. Boom, off the shelf it comes. Onto it goes a prep sleeve. As Taylor said, either a blue one or a silver one. And, and so they're fairly easy to do. But the big takeaway with the sizing is if it's the wrong size, chances are it's too big.
0: So let's take that a little further. Is that, it sounds like you've already done what I was thinking is the appropriate thing. Um, is there a way to get the
1: Sizing in the hands of the coaches in the region. Well, there is. You, you it's not even really in the coaches; it's more in the training rooms. And the training rooms, there is. They would, they would get a pack. We have the, the now we, the company has a, um a sizing pack. You know, so it'll be a collar of every size. Players can come in and try them. And then you some, a lot of schools and teams now are keeping some inventory on the shelf, so you just pull off the one, and then the kid could try it for a while, and you could wash them. So, someone else, you know, they're made out of Fitbit plastic, so they used to be rubbed up against. Some people like the way the sleeve feels. Some people like the way the plastic feels. It's just, that's just more of a difference. uh The plastic ones are blackened, and for the military, it comes in four different types of camo, because obviously the plastic ones have some, you know, fluorescent green on them, Seattle Seahawks green, and you can't have that out in the dark in the desert, you know, so that would be bad.
0: And, uh, Taylor, do you want one of these or twenty of these? What do you think is the right number? How many do I own? I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing, right? Is is you're wondering? Yeah, I mean, I, Gee, I know. These get, uh, I know in the locker
2: room. I know in the locker room, I have. Well, no, I mean, I actually, I actually don't, don't even really wash it because I wear a sleeve basically every game, and then I just kind of toss the sleeve and kind of use that sleeve as as the barrier. But I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've used the same collar all, all season for for every game, and. Dana, there's um, a spring
1: I- in the back. I don't mean to interrupt. So the spring is usually it lasts for at least three to four years. Most athletes, because they're still growing, will grow out of their collar long before the collar ever breaks. The collar also, if we add one, will straighten all the way if, God forbid, you have to take it off of somebody. You know what I mean? It can come off easily in the face of needing to take it off. Yeah. So the collar itself... You're only going to need one. You're more likely to lose it than outgrow it. You're more likely, yeah. you know, for your trainer not to pack it in your bag than yeah. you are to not have it. So, but as he says, it's it's his helmet now. It's the yeah. same. And for the guys we have playing, it's the same way. They don't step on what the field am- without it now. And it's like yeah, the last sorry. thing they put on.
2: Right. Sorry to interrupt you, Wayne, but no, I mean, don't worries, like Taylor. you said, like you said right there, like, as our equipment guys are packing our you know our our game bags if we're going on the road or even when we're at home you know they pack the bags and take them down to the locker room like that's one thing that I make sure every time like yeah cleats helmet yeah shoulder pads everything like they make sure that's in there but I make sure every time before I send it off I, I hand it off or I confirm that it's good that my collar's in there and that's like just an essential piece of equipment. I I don't think I could play a game right now without the collar. You know, that's, that's how, that's how much, uh, you know, it's part of my equipment and it's how much it's, um, you know,
0: important to me. That's great to hear. And just to take it a level further, you know, if you're a cyclist or if you ride horses, you know, the general rule is if anything touches your helmet, you replace it. Is there any thought with that, that, you know, these are designed that if they have any type of impact or damage, they need to be replaced, or they're pretty durable?
1: We haven't seen any of that. First of all, they're military grade. And you mentioned horse riding, the U.S. equestrian team has them, interestingly. But they're U.S. military. They are. I mean, that, this thing is born on the battlefield. We've said it already. So you could throw it out of the plane. You could take it down to 200 feet below sea level. You could light it on fire. Nothing's happening to it. So, if it touches his helmet, it's going to be fine. It can touch a military helmet. You don't need to throw it out. They are military grade, they are made to be worn in battle.
0: And then, Taylor, maybe you could just go back to some big hits. You know, I mean, we know you make some big tackles, and, you know, uh, another guy like you, right, Rodney Harrison, has, has talked about some of the long term impacts for him in terms of head injuries. Do you talk to him or others that have, have suffered long term? with the game?
2: I mean, no, I, I haven't I haven't talked to Rodney. I've uh briefly spoke to uh you know Luke Luke Keekley Um, you know, I know he was kind of a big uh kind of forefront uh guy, um proponent, you know, that kinda started and launched to to launch this whole uh caller. But I mean, like you said, at the end of the day, football is football and, you know, I, I'm not gonna change the way I play. You know, hopefully like Wayne, you know, kinda touched on, hopefully we can you know, change or no, make, you know, make things safer within the game. We're not going to change how the game's played, change the rules or anything like that. And, you know, just like with everything, you know, I, I, I'm going to do everything I can, you know, I'm, I'm big in terms of doing everything I can, the 1%, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing everything right. And, and this is one big thing that, you know, I'll continue to keep doing and it's kept me safe for the last two years. And, sometimes it can be a violent game. Like I said, you know, every, every tackle seems like a car crash and, um, you know, just to have the peace of mind of having the caller to give me that extra protection, that extra peace of mind to play free and and play the game the way the game's meant to be played is, you know, it means everything.
1: When you hear someone like him say it too, and I I know him, so he puts so much effort into recovery. He puts so much effort into what he eats, how he trains, Right. Why wouldn't you do whatever you could to protect yourself as well without having to change anything? He doesn't notice it. He doesn't feel it. But he's doing everything he can to make sure he's on that field for as long as he can play.
0: Yeah. And thinking long term on that, too, you know, there's been various discussions about, you know, NFL players and opioid use and various other techniques to handle pain after the games. Coming up soon, you know, a colleague of mine that uh, started, it's called the Matters Organization, um, to reduce opioid overdoses. CNN's coming to town to do an interview about that because it's been so successful in New York to reduce hospitalizations and, and again, complications with medications. Have you, either of you can take this one, discuss that this plays a role at all in kind of the long-term impact of reducing systemic medications?
1: If you think about What we're trying, you know, repetitive head injury, right? That's what you're trying to, you know. So you're talking about headaches, talking about the long-term effects. Most of that, in theory, is going to be a whole different set of issues, as well as risk and as well as outcomes. So we're trying to keep, you know, guys like him, their cognition stable and uniform throughout his life. I mean, he's a young kid right now, but he's he's got life after this, right? He's going to have a family. He's going to have a wife. He's going to have kids. He wants to play around with them he wants to get on the ground and roll around with them and do all that stuff and be able to be the husband and be the father that he dreamed to be in and I think whether the medications or whatever will be involved in it I think this it gives him the best opportunity to play the career that he dreamed about without it stopping but then going on to live the life that he's dreaming about as well that his career is going to enable him to do
0: Taylor, anything on that, whether, you know, it be you personally or, you know, other guys that are dealing with chronic pain or headaches? Yeah. I mean, Wayne kind of
2: touched on it, you know, just having the peace of mind of just wearing the collar and having the peace of mind of, you know, doing everything I can to ensure that future that Wayne is talking about, you know, that my, you know, future kids that I'll be, you know, a a big part in, in their lives. And, um, you know, be the husband that I'll you know, I've always dreamed of being, like Wayne said. And, um, you know, because, like you said, there is life after football. you know, this this football, this this game is 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 such a short period of life. like i I'll still have, you know, three quarters of my life after I'm done playing. and just knowing that I'm doing everything I can by wearing the collar, um, you know, just gives me that extra peace of mind. I hopefully won't won't have to uh, you know go down that path that 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 you talked about with uh, you know medications, opioids, all, all all that.
0: Sounds great, and I think uh, why don't we give you guys each opportunity for closing remarks, like what what you think this could have as an impact, both for friends, colleagues, and kids grown up.
1: Well, I'll start because I think his his statement is going to be more powerful at the end. But at the end of the day, this is about. Protecting yourself, but being part of protecting the legacy and watching guys be able to go out and do, you know, kids. And forget the sport. It's not just about football. It's not just about lacrosse. It's not about hockey. Soccer. I think you're finding that the uses for this are much, much greater than people even imagine. And then on top of that, one of the hugest privileges we have is protecting our warfighters. To know that we're doing something to protect the guys who are protecting us. Yeah, I mean, you can't even put a price or a pride level on that. You get to see it play out on Sundays, but you don't know about the guy who's dug in a foxhole or sitting up, you know, in a stand somewhere, and he's out the one out protecting us when we're not watching. So I think, you know, the opportunity to do something like this is such a privilege for me, and to watch Taylor go out and do his thing every Sunday to the level that he does it, and knowing that at night he can go home and, ha- you know, and he doesn't have to shake it off, so to speak, and he's not getting his bell wrong, and he's, you know, he can be the kid be the player be the man he wants to be I I can't even describe the privilege this is for me to be part of this
2: yeah like like Wayne said you know it's it's all about the future you know I'm like you said at the start of this like I'm not getting paid to to do this I'm it's it's all about spreading the word and and trying to get the word out about this thing because I think it's so powerful and I think it can this is kind of drastic but I think it could change the world in in everything not only sports like Wayne said you know I think it just you know the potential it has to change everything change change all these games change the youth change everything I think it's all about the future and so um like Wayne said you know it's just it, it means the world to me you know for for me to be able to speak on it and and uh, you know being a you know a, a guy that has worn it and and been through it had a severe brain injury two years ago and ever since never played a game without the collar. Um, and how, how, how much of it's an essential piece of equipment for me now. Um, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it, it means the world to me um, that I can speak on it and, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully spread the word to, you know, everyone and, you know, try to, try to get this thing, you know, out there
0: as much as possible. Beautiful. Love it. And, again, we're extremely grateful to have you in this town. And, uh, you know, I think you've seen the mafias out there in the rain and the snow and at the airport waiting when your flights are delayed. Yep. And, um, you know, even whether it's an injury on the Bills or whether there's something, you know, related to the Bills on a team somewhere else, you know, the, the support is pretty strong. So I know that they're all thankful to see you and listen to you and, and look forward to watching you at the next game. Appreciate it, man. Thanks.
2: Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at underscore Backtable MSK on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Jacob Fleming, and co-hosts Michael Barraza and Chris Beck.
1: Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon with support from Josh McWhirter, Aaron Bowles, nick shellcross
0: and ness smith savadoff design and digital marketing led by brian schmitz social media
2: and show notes written by marvie espiritu and Ann dang
0: administrative support provided by jimmy kennebrook thanks again and see you next time